0: Welcome to this special series of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, the co-founder of Craft Industry Alliance, an online community for craft business owners. And in this limited series of our podcast called Powering the Creative Economy with Spoonflower, we're focusing on artists and makers who have created innovative businesses using Spoonflower, the world's largest custom fabric, wallpaper, and home decor digital marketplace. In today's conversation, we're taking a deep dive into creating a clothing collection with my guest, Andrea Gear. Andrea creates original artwork using a variety of media and techniques, photography, digital drawing using Photoshop and Procreate, and traditional painting techniques all come into play. These techniques are also combined to create the end result. Andrea designs the clothing, and she and her assistants sew the garments in Rochester, New York. And the clothing reflects an ongoing interest she has in color, pattern, and texture. Spoonflower provides on-demand digital printing using an eco-friendly, sustainable, and scalable manufacturing process. They like to say, if you can dream it, we can print it. And Andrea Gear took them up on that offer. Let's hear how she did it. I'd love it if you could kind of talk to us first a little bit about your growing up. Were you um, kind of a creative kid? I was always creative. I
1: always loved art and design. And even when I was a child, I knew I was going to be an artist. For some reason, it just was a very, it's one of my first memories. And my, my parents would say the same thing. And they were like, they just always knew that I was going to go in a creative direction. And where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York in a tiny town called Hornby,
0: and it's right outside of Corning, New York. Okay, great. And what did your parents do for work when you were a kid? Um, My mom stayed at home until we went to
1: college, and then she got a nursing degree, and my dad was a correction officer. Oh, wow. Cool.
0: And did they do creative projects themselves as well?
1: Um, I would say they were very creative, but it was more geared towards like working on the house and like, you know, it it had more to do, I think, with like, um, you know, creating a good life for us. Like we're going to build a swing set, you know, how do Uh we do that?
0: So it was, it was more based around our family than externally. Right. Okay. Totally. And so you wanted to be an artist and what did you go to, um, school to study? Um, I went to RIT. I went for graphic design, and then I I got my MFA in painting. Okay, from the same school. Yeah. Oh wow! So you were there for a while. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll a little break in between, but yes. <laughs> okay, that's great. And so, yeah. when you were studying graphic design, did you think maybe you wanted to be a graphic designer, or you just weren't sure? You know, I wasn't really sure. I always
1: loved the graphic arts. I love everything about that type of design. But for me, there was something that wasn't quite there for me yet, and I started taking classes um, at the Memorial Art Gallery in painting, and I really fell in love with the medium, and I just decided that this would be a good direction to go in. And I'm not sure that people around me thought that was the best idea, but I was so in love um, with The art. (laughs) So I went
0: in that direction. Yeah. And you have a very abstract, very colorful aesthetic. And was it always that way? Or were you doing more representational work at that time? Or was it as large scale as the work you do now? I always loved the abstract expressionists.
1: And um, growing up in the 1960s and 70s, Um, They were a very strong influence on me. I was really enamored of that whole movement in art. And my, my canvases were always large. And over the years, they've gotten a bit smaller. But I still use those large canvases, and I still will paint on the large canvases. But there's something about the connection of the scale of the painting to the scale of the body and your expression and your movement that I really find intriguing.
0: Yeah, so like you're moving your whole body as you're painting because the canvas is so large. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so um, how did the evolution of your painting practice and your career as a fine artist with a degree and, and a master's degree in fine arts develop into... Creating a clothing line. So, was were there steps in between there? Did you love fashion, or how did how did that happen?
1: Um, I would say it was a really long and winding road, and I don't know exactly how I ended up as a clothing designer. But uh, along the way, I've always been very interested in anything design, and in my mind, it didn't really matter to me if I was creating a painting or making a piece of jewelry. Um, we had knitting machines at one point, and the the vehicle to get to the end result was just a vehicle for me. So um, I think I just ended up taking the path that I could knew I knew that I could have the most relevant outcome for me. And I still do these paintings, but they're not all large. And I've done a lot of other types of work also. I'm working on some jewelry pieces right now, um, doing resin pouring and. You know, to me, I just what what really inspires me is being able to work with a variety of mediums and then circle back around to the one where I'm actually it's my business, but bringing all the fresh ideas from the other
0: areas. Right, right. You know, I hear that. So, um, working outside of the core business feeds the core business's creative input. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, were how? What was your first introduction to saying I'm going to get this, um, f- this, this design, these paintings printed onto fabric, and then I maybe I could turn that fabric into something you could wear?
1: I I started about 15 years ago with knitting machines. Okay. And my my big interest in the knitting machines is that I would be able to create my own fabric, and it took me about two years to knit you know, like a rectangle with two holes in it. But I, <laughs> it took a long time. It's slow. But, knitting machines are oh very gosh, slow. Yeah. Yes, it is. But I was enamored of the idea that I would be able to actually design the fabric. And so once I learned the knitting machine, and once I delved into that, I realized it wasn't quite giving me the satisfaction that I had hoped for the amount of work it was. And so I'm always on the internet. I'm looking up, you know, printing on demand. I'm looking up weaving on demand. I'm constantly looking for new ways to sort of express my my ideas. And I, I did run into Spoonflower um, online at some point and I registered, I had an account and I didn't use it for a long time. I uploaded a few designs and I sort of forgot about it while I was knitting. And at some point I circled back around and I was like, you know, this would be cool. I wonder if I can take my paintings and just I'll just try a little bit and see what this looks like. And so I
0: had to have my paintings photographed. Yeah, so- I was going to ask about that because they are, you know, fairly large scale. And, um, and so you th- like one of the hurdles, I think, for somebody listening who's like, oh, I'm a painter. I'd love to do this, too, is how to get the scan or the photo of the artwork so it's in a digital form. So what did you did you wrestle with that or did you come up immediately with the right solution? Oh no, I made many mistakes for sure. <laughs> but it what it came back
1: around to was I realized that I needed to be able to print to the scale of the fabric width. So I couldn't really take a picture with my phone or my regular camera and get that file size large enough. And so what I realized is I have to have somebody else with a better camera take the pictures of the paintings. And so I hired a photographer and I I mean, it was a leap of faith because I don't know if this is going to work or not at all. He took the pictures of the paintings and then I made them the correct size in Photoshop, which I was just learning at the same time also. And I had a really, you know, a basic knowledge of Photoshop, but I was by no means an expert. So once I was able to get the file onto my desktop and into Photoshop and size it the correct size, then it just, my eyes were opened because then I realized, well, it doesn't really need to be a painting. It could be a drawing. And then I got a Wacom tablet and I started playing around with that. And one thing led to another and it became easier and easier to do. But I think the file size was probably the biggest challenge early on. Okay. Because I, was like, I can't get every painting professionally photographed. It will be too expensive. So, Somewhere along the way, um, as I was researching my dilemma, I found out about a mirrorless camera, which um, the RAW files are pretty large. And so I was able to use
0: that camera to take my own photos. Oh, wow. So it's called a mirrorless camera. Yes. Okay. And it's something that you can buy online and yeah. learn how to use. Not, It's not too difficult of a learning curve, it, it sounds like, but this allowed you to take really high quality photos of your painting. So that's a great tip, somebody looking for a great tool. It was a game changer, I'll tell you, because I didn't know how to get the images large
1: enough. I knew how to do it if I was starting with a digital file, but I didn't know, and then once I got the camera, I was like, I can go to the park and like take pictures.
0: <laughs> right, and so you could even take a picture, let's say, with this camera of a flower, and have that printed at a large scale on Spoonflower.
1: Exactly. So I did do that. I went and I would take pictures when I would bring the camera with me, and so I would take those images from the camera. I would put them into Photoshop on my. You know, I I would download them onto my desktop, put them into Photoshop, and then I started drawing on top of those photos. And then I was like, this is pretty awesome. Um, and I was actually using my mouse pad to create the drawings um, you know, with my fingertip and then the Wacom tablet. And then I was like, it seems like there's too many steps here. I'm getting kind of lost along the way with the number of steps. So I was interested in simplifying my process. So then what I did is I got the iPad and you know, there's Procreate on the iPad and the iPencil. So I was able to actually draw on the screen and that was a really another eye-opening moment because I was like, okay, not only can I take a picture of my artwork, and it doesn't have to be a large painting, it could be uh, just a painting on paper, it could be a print, and I have hundreds of pieces of artwork that I've created. So I could take a picture of any of those, put them in Procreate, put them in the Dropbox, download them into Procreate, and then draw on top of them, and I could also change the color. So as with many things along the way, I just learned more about the technical aspects. But, you know, I was never an expert in any of these things in particular. I just learned what I needed to know in order to get to the next step of what I was doing. Right. So I would definitely not call myself an expert in Procreate, but I'm very familiar with the tools that I use on a regular basis. And that those are the tools of drawing, creating shapes, changing the color and the hue and the value, changing the size, importing like other images that I can put side by side. There's a lot of tools in there that, you know, like once you start delving into it, you're like, I'm never really going to learn all this because there's too much. It would take forever. So I'm like, I'm just going to learn what I need to know right now. And it won't be perfect. And the
0: repeats maybe aren't going to be perfect, but I just want to start. Right. And I feel like you have the confidence to know if you need something in the future, you could teach yourself.
1: Yes. And I think the tools are really so much easier to use. And like the camera, for example, that is not easy to learn how to use really. But I realized I didn't really need to learn every single thing about the camera, thank God. I went to the camera store and I was like, okay, where's the automatic setting? Like, I really just want to take some pictures. And what is the easiest way for me to do this being a non-technical like technical person? So they, they showed me how to use it. And I was using it that day. But I think for me, the key is Not going down the rabbit hole too much with the technical aspect of what I'm doing and just keeping in mind, like, what is my favorite part of this process? It's the actual design aspect of it. And the tools help me get there, but they're not the reason I'm doing it. They're just an aid to get me there.
0: Yeah, that's great. Really, really solid advice. I love that. So, okay, so now you have kind of the world as your oyster. You can upload and create these beautiful designs based on your art, your photography. Um, and so um, where did Spoonflower come into play here? You, I'm, I'm sure you ordered some fabric to see what it was like. Um, and and what, what did kind of ideas did that, that generate in your mind?
1: Every time... I create a piece of artwork and have it printed. It's really low risk because you can order a yard or two yards or you can order 200 yards. So I realized early on that the Spoonflower was gonna be a company that I could grow into. They could grow to my demand and I could grow into their technology. And so at first I ordered a couple yards of this and that and I was just experimenting, but then I was like, You know, I had already been sewing because we had the knitting machines and we were sewing the sweaters, you know, they weren't fully shaped garments. They were sewn together. So I, at the same time I was learning about the artwork, I was also getting better at using my industrial sewing equipment, but I've always tried to invest in the best equipment that I can afford at the beginning of the process because you grow into that. I grew into it. So I would order a couple yards of fabric. I would make a very simple top or a shirt and I would just see how it drapes see how the pattern falls in the fabric. Sometimes the pattern was not flattering. And then in other times I was like, oh, wow, this is really flat. This looks really nice on. I love this. So the more I started uploading the artwork, the more I wanted to do because the more ideas I had. And so I've gone through, you know, so many different images that I've printed. And now that I am a clothing designer and I create wholesale collections for the marketplace, you know, we, it's a very, very fast moving business and it really suits me perfectly because I can create a new collection with new prints every six months. And if I have a store that, or if say I have a print that I know is doing particularly well, I'm like, well, the people like these colors. I really love these colors. What, what can I do with this? That's a couple steps beyond what I have done. And so it just really suits my personality and my desire to design. And I rapidly move through this design process and not everything is great, believe me, but um, you know, there's enough in there that's really good that I can just kind of skip by the things that I'm not as happy with. And I figure it's all, you know, an experiment, a big experiment really. And I'm trying to design things that people enjoy wearing and colors that look good on people um, it's all really to um, contribute my design aesthetic in some relevant way.
0: And I would describe your design aesthetic um, in some ways. The cuts of the the pieces remind me of Eileen Fisher. I don't know if you would disagree, but you know they have some of that same kind of draping, the same kind of fit that suggests. You know, that, so that if we wanted to conjure for somebody in their mind what these look like without them being able to see it, um, that's kind of the, the cut. But everything else about it is completely different because Eileen Fisher, you think gray, I think gray, black, solid, and your work is none of that. Am I describing it correctly or how do you describe it?
1: No, I agree with you completely. And I love Eileen Fisher. I have a number of her pieces because to me, that is a showcase for the jewelry that I like to wear. And I, I mean, I personally love wearing black and white. And the thing about the print is that the print sort of takes the primary focus. But I would definitely say there are some similarities in the fit because this is for the modern woman. I mean, we are running from here to there. Like I don't get dressed up to come to the studio and these clothes are very comfortable. They're washable, you know, they're forgiving. And the whole reason that these are designed in the way they are is that I'm trying to make people feel good about what they're wearing. So the prints are sort of cheerful and colorful. The fit is meant to, just make people feel good. And so what I try to do is think about what is going to make me feel good in a piece of clothing. It's like, okay, it's going to be a very voluminous piece. I'm going to wear it with leggings and I'm going to have a very fitted sleeve. That's going to make me feel good. So then I try to incorporate that into a piece of clothing.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's a great um, way of thinking about making somebody feel good. And so when you first started getting these um these paintings printed onto fabric to make clothing. Did you try a few different um, base cloths or substrates from Spoonflower um, and experiment with them? Are you are you still using a few different ones, or do you have a favorite one that you use all the time?
1: Um, I, I do use several different ones, and it depends on the season. Because, for example, the twills are the twill is really wonderful for a fall jacket. Um, but you know, right now we're selling, um, to the boutiques, we're selling, you know, we're still delivering our early fall collection. And so people are in all different parts of the country where the climate is a little bit warmer. So we're, I am designing for all climates for each season, but I find that one of our most popular fabrics is that modern Jersey. It's very, very easy to live with. It's washable. It's comfortable, it's a knit, so it's got that great stretch. It, be- it prints beautifully. The color prints really, really beautifully on that jersey fabric. But I also love the gauze, uh, the twill I love, and they have a new uh, cotton lawn that I'm sort of obsessed with right now. I have a little sample here <laughs> and I'll be making some, you know, like right now I'm working on spring and summer 22, uh, 2022, so I am getting ready to create those designs that'll go into that collection. So that cotton lawn will definitely play a prominent uh, role in that collection.
0: And how did you find wholesale um, accounts for these, um, you know, sewn garments? When you were, did you go to the, the same shops that were stocking the um, the knitting machine garments and say, hey, we've pivoted and here's our new stuff? Or did was it a different market? Or how did you go about building that side of the business?
1: Um, I had to, build it from scratch. Because when I was doing the knitting, um, we were making the sweaters and we were selling them directly to our customers through craft shows. And so it started small. I did a craft show in Rochester, but by the end of that time that we were knitting, I was traveling all over the country. I was going to San Francisco and Chicago and West Palm Beach. And we were, we were really selling these sweaters um, and not just traditional sweaters, but like sleeveless, lightweight sweaters, a variety of different items but directly to the customer. So we were taking a lot of special orders. I was traveling a lot and I would come back with, you know, the special orders that we would complete and then send out. Now, when I transitioned into the printing on demand, I decided to go into a different direction because it seemed like the craft shows were, they were challenging in a variety of ways. I really loved them and I still do some, but what I decided is that I was gonna try my hand at the wholesale end of the business. So I went to New York, I bought um, a room at a hotel during market week. And that's how we started, you know, and it was, I learned a lot, I met a lot of store owners. And, you know, they were very generous to let me know what was working and not working in my collection. And it really has evolved from there. But with that is a moving target, because it's changing all the time. And it's part of The thing that I really love most about it is that it's never boring. It's never, it's never a set thing. It is constantly changing. And now we've grown to the point where we have these boutiques that buy our collection, but we also sell through an online retailer and I have um, a sales rep. She lives in Texas and she goes to the shows like in California and LA and she'll send me the orders. And so we talk every, almost every day on the phone and we discuss different aspects of you know what, what are people liking or not liking, how can we you know make it easier for her to sell what we're making. And because we're really a small company, we really make everything to order. I don't carry inventory much on the fabric, um, a little bit, but really when I get the order from the store, what I do is I order the fabric. And then, you know, our our quickest turnaround is four weeks. But it's not like working with a factory because I don't have to have a minimum number of items. If I have orders for 10 shirts or 20 or 50 shirts, we can make exactly what we need. And that's another way the spoon flower comes in is a very important part of my business because I can order as much or as little fabric as we need.
0: Right. And tell us a little bit about your staff now. So it's you in the studio and then who is working? You have your sales rep, but who is working with you um, on site to do some of the the sewing and other work required?
1: I have two part time employees and one of my helpers is um, she does mainly shipping and, you know, she'll she'll handle the shipping area. And then I sew and I have another assistant that sews. And so I am very careful to design most things that are not too, too labor intensive because so much of the expense is going into the fabric that I have to be careful about how long it takes to make everything. And so that's where some of this high speed industrial sewing equipment comes in handy because I know that I can create it in a certain number of minutes, you know, in a certain amount of time. And so this really helps us a lot.
0: So it sounds like each season, you are creating new paintings, new designs in Procreate, and then uploading those to Spoonflower and using those as the basis of the new collection. Is that right? Yes, I use other companies too, but I,
1: I love Spoonflower because um, their turnaround time is shorter and there's, I, have more, I have more information to react to more quickly. And do you have one of the pro accounts, Suns with Spoonflower? Yeah, that's great because you get free shipping and I have a dedicated email if I have a question. They're wonderful. It's really a yeah. wonderful, wonderful company to work with. They've, I've been extremely happy with them. There's a professional discount based on volume. Um, so that has been very helpful as well. And, you know, I can't really say enough good things about them. They're really a well-run company. And they're really relevant to the way people are thinking about design right now. Design is a very democratic process. And a lot of us have tools that we didn't have access to before. We have Procreate and Photoshop. We have the ability to take the, the photos ourselves. I have pattern-making software on my laptop. I mean, it's amazing. But the thing is, because design is so democratic, there are some companies that understand all of this. And they're they're like in the front Runner, they're front runners for this sort of movement of making and printing on demand and making to order. And it's like small batch manufacturing, and I don't even know what I would call it manufacturing. Yes, we make a lot of shirts, but you know we are able to respond to the needs of the marketplace and our customers.
0: Right. And you don't, I mean, this is the opposite of fast fashion. You don't have tons of waste. You're not carrying tons of inventory that's then deeply discounted and that sort of thing. You're really, um, creating to order and you can do that because you're able to get these orders and then order exactly the right amount of fabric. And sew exactly what the order requires. Right. And yeah, if I want to experiment
1: with one of a kind pieces, which I do frequently, I'm like, oh, I want to do this other thing. You know, I don't feel bad about ordering fabric for that either, or I'll go through, we have a whole collection right now that's based on our scrap fabric. And so after we cut those shirts out of the Jersey fabric, we're left with everything on the edges and sides. And so what we did is we created a new pattern for a particular set of shirts that is not the whole front and the whole back and the whole sleeve. We We basically broke it down into pieces. And so now we piece these items together. They're adorable and people love them and we can offer them at a little bit of a lower price point because we're using our scrap fabric and it's wonderful to be able to use it. So we have a long ways to go um, as far as, you know, just becoming more efficient and having less waste, but it's a constant ongoing effort, I would say.
0: Yeah, and tell us a little bit about your studio space where you are right now. Um, what is what does the space have? Where are you located, and what do you like about it?
1: Um, I have to say, I really love the space. It's in the old central post office in Rochester. It's got huge windows. I have an immense space here, and it's it's not fancy, but it is so wonderfully functional. The, it's got very tall ceilings and I have a lot of room to spread out and my workers, you know, we all can really spread out and it's laid out in such a way as when I walk in in the morning, the first thing I do is I look at it and I just, I have a smile on my face. It's a
0: beautiful space. The landlord, everybody here is like wonderful. It's a great, it's That's a great place great. to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important too. Um, and so um, what are your plans for the future and, you know, any thing coming down the pipeline that would be interesting for us to know about?
1: Well, I always am delving into new materials. <laughs> and right now we're working on a line of jewelry. It's not done yet, but I'm taking the same prints that we print on the fabric and we're printing them on, Paper and embedding them in resin, and so that's a challenge right now. And it's a really fun, exciting uh, new direction. And so my thought is, I would love to have a line of jewelry to go with the clothing. Um, it's just so much fun to learn about a new material. And we've been through a lot trying to get rid of the air bubbles and this and that, but <laughs> we I think we found a way to get rid of them. It's amazing. It took a long time, but um, yeah. So anyway, yes, there's always going to be something next here. It's I, I, I don't want to say that I get bored because there's always ways to make it interesting, but I always want to grow as a designer, and I always want to expand my vocabulary so that what I want to design is what I'm actually able to design. So it's a lifelong process. I think it's just a lifelong interest I've always had, and I really... I love that idea that if I wanna branch off into a different category, I can do that. And because I'm self-employed and it's, it's all a matter of, is this going to enhance the lives of my customers? Is it gonna make me happy to make it? Um, I love making things. I'm a very, very much a hands-on person and we've, we've learned a lot here. And it's all been incremental and it's all been on an as needed basis.
0: Right. I think that's really reassuring that you don't need to know everything to get started. Right. And you can learn as you go in order to accomplish the ideas that you have in your mind. So that's just a lovely, lovely uh, message to, to part with. So thank you so much, Andrea. You're very welcome. And if I could say one last thing. Absolutely.
1: And this is for the other makers out there. Like, It's really about feeling inspired, and if you can find a way to find inspiration, however that happens, that is the driving force behind the creative work. And it will be different for all of us, but I know when I feel it, and I feel that the people watching this and the other people that craft and make various things, they know when they're on that path of inspiration and it requires many steps after that but if you can hang on to that feeling that's a really driving force that will push you in the right direction
0: yeah absolutely so listen to listen to that feeling and and follow it definitely yeah that's wonderful thank you so much thank you Abby you can check out Andrea Gear's business at andreageardesigns.com to learn more about her today's episode was powered by Spoonflower and Craft Industry Alliance. Get started making your business dreams a reality with Spoonflower, where you'll find over 1 million designs curated from thousands of artists worldwide. If those creative juices are really flowing, try your hand at uploading your own design and see your vision become a reality. Once it does, connect with fellow business owners for advice and support at craftindustryalliance.org. The audio in today's episode was edited and mixed by Matthew Tales for at Mixture Films. I'm Abby Glassenberg. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And most importantly, tell your friends. Thank you so much.